Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Kaiju Carnage. I am your host, Cal the Kaiju Guy. And today, I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission to defend a movie that I love, that I do not think gets the love and appreciation that it deserves from the fan base. And I'm here to defend it and basically also give my review, my likes and dislikes and all of that kind of stuff. And basically just say that the movie is better than what you remember it being. And it's probably the most polarizing entry in the Godzilla franchise. And that film is Godzilla 1998 that was done by TriStar. So, yeah. Um, basically, it's a good movie. And I'm tired of people acting like that. It's not. And I, I constantly hear comments and just different, you know, people have done entire videos or just even in passing, they mention negative things about the 1998 Godzilla and all of that kind of stuff. And um, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here to fight. <laughs> I'm just, just letting you know I am here to fight because I love this movie. I've loved it since the first moment I ever saw it, and I'm not going to go into detail about um, the production or anything like that, because that's that's covered in my actual episode that I did on Godzilla 1998, and <clears throat> I know that many of my listeners, either you're also fans of this movie, or you listen to my episode just hopefully to hear me badmouth it and all of that kind of stuff and you know you uh you, you didn't get that you didn't get what you wanted but um it's the 1998 Godzilla episode that I did on my podcast it is one of my most popular episodes that I've ever done uh today's episode is episode number 115 I believe at the time of this recording and the Godzilla 1998 episode is my ninth most listened to episode that I've ever done. <laughs> and um, it's it's well over 100. It's not very far away from joining the 200 Club, where, you know, it's been listened to 200 times total. Um, I have a number of episodes that are pretty close to that. Uh, the only one that's actually crossed that mark is the King Ghidorah Spotlight that I did. But, um... Yeah, so it's a popular episode that I did, and I just, first of all, I'd like to apologize for being so late and actually putting this episode out and all of that. I was, um, I've discovered new editing techniques for my YouTube videos to where I can do more than just simply, um, <clears throat> unboxings and stuff like that. I can actually do more, like, better kaiju content slash basically podcast episodes to put on YouTube, which will be entirely separate from this podcast that I do. And I'm finding out, you know, how to be able to splice scenes from movies together and add pictures and all of that kind of stuff. Like, so, you know, I've been, I've been working on that. I put together an official intro for my, uh, my YouTube videos with my theme song that Ian Sinclair, uh, composed for me 
and it's got like you know some Godzilla scenes and King Kong scenes and all of that kind of stuff and yeah it's going to be the official intro to all of my uh YouTube videos now and I'm, I'm very very proud of it but anywho uh yeah I was working on that and also I was watching the movie uh, the 1998 movie because I just I just wanted to watch it again so that everything is very very fresh in my brain even though a lot of stuff about this movie stays fresh in my brain it's probably if I actually had to make an official ranking system of which Godzilla films I've seen more than any of the others like which ones I've watched the most of the entire franchise Number one, I would say, is probably a toss-up between the 1962 King Kong versus Godzilla and Godzilla versus the Sea Monster because those are my two like top favorite Godzilla films of all time. After that would probably be Godzilla versus Megalon, and then after that, no joke, it's probably this movie, the 1998 Godzilla film. Because I know I'm going to show my age here. Um, of course, you know, that doesn't matter because I can see on my statistics for the people that listen to my episodes, the vast majority of listeners that I have, like roughly 70% of my listeners, are people my age. So you guys will absolutely be able to relate to this. I was born in 1987. This film came out in 1998, so I was 10-11 years old, depending on the month exactly, that, um, you know, that it came out. And, <clears throat> I believe, is my math right? I don't, I, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> I served my time in high school, I'm, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm done. I'm done, and math was never one of my strong suits. Um... You know, uh, completely off subject. Y'all remember all those times whenever we would go to take a math test and we would ask the teacher, can we use our calculator? And they would basically be like, you're not always going to have a calculator with you. And now every single one of us has a calculator app built into our cell, cell phones. <laughs> we sure showed them, didn't we? But, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, I, I, I use my, uh, my calculator app a lot on my phone. But anywho. So I was, you know, 10, 11, somewhere in that window, whenever this film came out. I was super excited about it. I was super pumped about it. Could not wait to watch it. And I pretty much knew from the get-go that, like, immediately, even while just seeing the previews and stuff like that, I immediately disassociated this movie with the Showa-era slash Toho Godzilla films that I had seen and that I had loved and all of that. And I immediately labeled this simply as the American Godzilla. That's what I've always, that's what I, I referred to it as, as a kid and into my teens and all of that. The American Godzilla. I referred to Toho's Godzilla as just simply Godzilla because he's, he's the OG, you know. And so, and this one, so it was like anytime we would talk about it, we would say Godzilla or the American Godzilla. And I've always liked the design of this Godzilla. Um, I believe I talked about in my actual 1998 episode that I did that the, the reason why his, his jaw is so large is because that's based on Shere Khan from the Disney cartoon, uh, The Jungle Book. 
that that's what his his jawline was pretty much based off of and all of that kind of stuff. But yeah, um, I love this movie. I watched it. Uh, I talked about that just a little while ago. I watched this movie and then immediately after it finished, while the credits were still rolling, I have now started it over and it's playing on my, my TV, but I haven't muted. And it's at the part right now where Dr. Nick Totopoulos is standing in the footprint and saying that he's a biologist, he takes studies, uh, samples and studies them. You know, uh, Hicks just was like, you're standing in it and all that. And so now the camera's panning up and Nick is looking around all confused in a very goofy fashion. Like, I don't see it, I don't see it, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I know I've already said this numerous times, but I love this movie. But while I love this movie, it is not without its issues. And I do have a few issues with it. And it's not, it has nothing to do with the design of Godzilla. And he looks nothing like his Toho counterpart, you know, and all that kind of stuff. It is 100% just the way the movie was made. Like some of the acting and continuity mistakes and things like that. Like there's just certain things about it that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. And I'm going to cover all of that in this episode. But now. Let's go on ahead and jump into it and talk about one of the main things that I wanted to talk about in that whenever this movie first was coming out, they were keeping the design of Godzilla a big secret. And I remember being very, very hyped, wondering what the design of Godzilla was going to be in this movie. And how I found out what the design of Godzilla was going to be was, at the time, there was... I honestly cannot remember if it was a Toys R Us, because we used to have a Toys R Us here in town, or if it was one of the Walmarts here in town. But we were, you know, just walking through, like doing some grocery shopping and all of that, and very rarely did we actually get to buy a toy or anything like that, me or my brother. But we would often go and look. We basically window shop. And to this day, I'm 35 years old, and I cannot step foot in a Walmart without after getting all of my stuff and be like, all right, let's go check out the toys. And I'll, I'll go look at the toys and all that. And I'll be like, oh, that's cool. Oh man, whenever I was a kid, I would have killed for something like that, you know? And then I'll just look at it all and be like, all right, let's go. And you know, <laughs> like, I just want to look. And so that's what we would do. And so we go to the toy section and I see the entire section of Godzilla 1998 toys. And by this time, the film... I can't remember if the film's already in theaters. I did not get to see this film in theaters, unfortunately. I really, really wanted to. But <clears throat> growing up with the financial situation that my family was in, going to a movie theater was, you know, not... It just wasn't a very common thing. Like, the very first film... At this point in time, like, I'm 10 or 11 years old, and I had only seen two films in theaters at that point. The first one was a special re-showing, I know I've talked about this before, of the uh, Christopher Reeve Superman film, Superman 2, where he goes up against General Zod and the, uh, the Kryptonians, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. That was the very first film I ever saw in theaters, but a lot of times I don't count that because it was just a special showing. The actual first film I ever saw that was actually making, like, a legit theatrical box office run and all of that was Mighty Morphin Power Rangers the movie. 
and I wanted to go see this, but we didn't get to go. And the next movie that I saw, it was after this film had come out, was Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. And, cool. I think the next movie I went and saw in theaters, I didn't go see another one until 2004, whenever Alien vs. Predator came out. Like, that's, you know, I just, I did not get to go to theaters that much at all. And um, now I've, I've been to the theater more times this year in 2022 than I had in like probably the first 15 years of my life and all of that. But anywho, I'm going down the rabbit hole. I know that. Back on track. Focus, Mike. Focus. <laughs> and, uh, so right now on the TV, we're at the part where the massive ship is on the beach and you see the claws all through the sides and all of that kind of stuff. <clears throat> um, that doesn't pertain to anything that I was about to say. I was just letting y'all know at what point in the movie that we're in and they're all looking at it and all of that kind of stuff. But now, let's talk about some issues that fans overall had with this movie. One, they did not like the fact that Zilla, which at this point in time in my life, I exclusively refer to this kaiju as Zilla because that is his official name by Toho. And they did not like the lizard slash iguana slash Komodo dragon, whatever kind of lizard it was um, that he mutated from. They did not like that that was his origin. <clears throat> Mind you, <clears throat> they kept the nuclear origin, kind of. Like, he, he was brought about by, like, nuclear radiation and all of that because of nuclear testing and all of that kind of stuff. But in the original 1954 Gojira, like, yeah, he was also brought about by nuclear testing and nuclear weapons and all of that. But he was more like... I'm mad at the world for doing this and all of that kind of stuff. And this one was just like, well, the, the nuclear weapons just radiated him. And now he's, um, he's just a creature that's going about his business. Because they really wanted this film to be a realistic or as realistic as you could get of a take on Godzilla. So that's why he's just really more of a regular creature as opposed to an anti-nuclear weapon like metaphor that he was in 1954. Now, <clears throat> I love the opening scene of this film. And whenever I say the opening scene, I'm not talking about whenever the credits are rolling and all that. I'm talking about whenever he attacks the vessel. And, you know, they see him coming on the radar and all of that. You see his claws like come through the uh, hull of the ship and all that, and his tail coming and hitting the uh, the main deck and the guys flying back. And then it immediately transitions to Nick singing, like, singing in the rain. <laughs> um, I'm not going to lie, I identify with Nick. Like, there's no tomorrow in that scene. Because there's lots of times, it doesn't happen very often, but like, I, I tell people all the time that whenever I'm driving and I'm by myself and... Like, I'm in the middle of nowhere. A lot of times I was like, I'm on stage. 
whenever my music is playing, like I'm just singing and making all these little gestures and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes I take it very seriously. And then there's other times where I'm like Nick and I'm just kind of goofing off while singing and all of that. And so I've always identified with him um, in my adult life whenever I see that scene and all that. And so I love Nick. I do. I'm a big Matthew Broderick fan. Um, this is actually the first film I had ever seen Matthew Broderick in because some of the other films that he had starred in at this point in time, like it wasn't something, you know, nerdy kind of related that I would have been into as a kid. And I've told you guys about how strict my mom was with things that I was able to watch and all of that kind of stuff. So like Ferris Bueller's day off with like some of the things that were said and, uh, and all that kind of stuff like that, that was off limits and everything, you know, and there was a few other like adult movies that he had done. He was in the civil war film called glory. Like I had not seen any of that at this point in time. So this was the first film that I ever saw Matthew Broderick in. And anytime somebody mentions Matthew Broderick, this is the film that usually first pops up in my mind. Um, whenever discussing him in any sort or fashion or anything. So now let's talk about the casting. Um, Matthew Broderick plays Nico Totopoulos, which I know it's an ongoing joke in the film that everyone has a hard time pronouncing his name. Even as a kid, I was always like, why is that so difficult? Like I've heard it one time and it's like, okay, Totopoulos, Totopoulos. Like it's not, it's not that difficult, <laughs> but you know, they just, they decided to make it be an ongoing joke, um, in the film or whatever. But so anyway, Matthew Broderick plays Nico Totopoulos. Jean Reno plays Philippe, uh, the French, uh, quote unquote insurance agent, which is actually like French, uh, CIA or, uh, whatever he was. Then you have Maria Patillo who plays Audrey, which Audrey has gotten a lot of hate for this movie, the character of Audrey. And one of the main reasons why is it's not so much her character. Well, one, you know, she does bend over Matt, Matthew Broderick. You know, she, she does him wrong uh, by stealing the tape and going to the press and all of that kind of stuff to try and get ahead at her job and all of that. But um, let, let's be honest here. Maria Patillo did not do the greatest job acting-wise <laughs> in this movie. Some of the facial expressions that she would make, um, some of the way that she would deliver her lines and her dialogue and all of that kind of stuff, it's, it's cringeworthy. Nonetheless, no matter how bad she did of an acting job and all of that, as a 10 or 11-year-old kid, I laid eyes on her. I viewed her as being like one of the most beautiful things to ever walk the face of the planet. And I still think she is very beautiful. And I've pretty much had a, uh, she's been one of my celebrity crushes ever, ever since I first saw this movie. So like, yeah, okay. She's, uh, she didn't do the best job acting wise, but I'm like, mm. <laughs> you know, I sure love watching her. Let's put it that way. But, uh, yeah, so she plays Audrey. Then you have the great Hank Azaria who plays Animal, who was one of the highlights of this movie. Um, he's, he's really cool. Like, I just, I've, I've always been a fan of Animal and uh, Hank Azaria's performance in this film. Again, he's been in many, many different films and TV shows and all of that. This was the first thing I had ever seen him in. So whenever people mention him, 
this is the first movie that pops into my mind whenever talking about him and all of that. And then you had Vicki Lewis, who plays Elsie Chapman, who was the redhead, like, smart nerd individual and all that. She plays a pretty decent role in this film. And then uh, the other person that I'm going to mention is Doug Savant. I believe that's how you pronounce his last name. He plays Sergeant O'Neill. And I've always liked O'Neill in this movie. I always thought he was funny to way like, uh, you, you can tell he's an anxiety ridden individual. Like, you know, he, he mutters a lot. He has, he gets nervous whenever he's talking, uh, to certain individuals and all of that kind of stuff. I've always been a big fan of O'Neill. Now, um, that's just some of the main cast members that I felt like mentioning. Uh, a lot of the other cast members, I'm just kind of like, eh, you know, whatever I could take or leave them in this movie. But those are the ones that like, I really enjoy in this film. Now, like, as the movie goes on, right now we're at a scene, which oddly enough, this was the, the next part in my notes that I was going to talk about. So it's it's perfect timing. Um, you know, they're in the rain, they're at the pier. Old Joe is walking down the pier right now to go fishing. And the other two uh, hobos is up there, you know, like giving him a hard time and all that. I've always been a fan of this pier scene. The way that... Even though this isn't <clears throat> like the first legit official appearance of Zilla in this film, it is the first time that we get to see so much of him that we can kind of guess like what he's going to look like and all of that until the big reveal does come later on whenever they're trying to bait him with fish. <clears throat> now, I say that I love the pier scene. What I'm talking about <clears throat> is... After the fishing pole gets jerked out of Joe's hands and the water swells up and you can see the dorsal uh, plates like coming out of the water a little bit and he's slowly coming towards the pier <clears throat> and like, well, that, that scene's playing out right now. I love that scene. I love the cinematography of this, just seeing that massive swell come towards the pier. That's always been probably my favorite visual scene of this movie. And, you know, he's going to bust up the pier and then he's going to come out of the water and he's going to be stomping down the streets and all of that kind of stuff. Now, I just said that I love this scene with the pier and all that. I love it, but then there's also a big part about this scene that's never made any sense to me. Okay? Zilla is pretty freaking massive in this movie. Like, he's, he's large. Okay, he's not as big as some of the Toho incarnations of Godzilla, but he is, he's a kaiju. He is big. And what always got me, even as a little kid, when I first saw this movie, is whenever old Joe cast that line to go fishing, and Zilla just up and decided, okay, I'll bite. Like, it's not like there was a massive fish on the end of the line. There was probably just a worm or some other kind of bait or it could have been a spinner or something like that. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't know. But nonetheless, I'm just like, why in the world would Zilla see whatever was on the end of that line and basically be like, yeah, that's a good snack and basically bite it. Like it just, it never made it. Nope, 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 nope. It never made any sense to me. But other than that, yeah, I, I really love that scene and all that. 
And so at this point in time in the movie, Zilla is up and about. He just picked up like the 18 wheeler and he was shaking it in his mouth. Could have been a nod to the original 1954 Gojira scene whenever he had uh, the train in his mouth and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, that scene was also somewhat replicated in Godzilla Millennium or Godzilla 2000. Like, you know, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a scene that gets done a decent amount of times in the Godzilla franchise. Now we're to the point where Zilla is on his way and he's stomping through the city and all of the cars are jumping and all of that kind of stuff. And you can tell that the director told all of the extras that were there to use the vehicles bouncing up and down as the cue for whenever they're supposed to jump up and down. Because the step happens and you see all the cars lift up a little bit and then just a split second later, then all of the extras, all of the people, then they react to it. So, like, you know, it, it was always just a delay. And, again, even upon first seeing this film as a 10 or 11-year-old kid, I was always kind of like, why, why are they bouncing right after the cars? You know, I didn't know, I didn't pay attention back then to uh, how films were made and all of that kind of stuff. And I didn't think anything of it of basically being like, well, that's just the director probably told the extras that whenever the cars bounce up, that's their cue to bounce up and all of that kind of stuff. But anywho, so we're moving on to, uh, and this is the part where I'm pretty much going to start really outpacing the movie as, as it's on and all of that. So whenever Zilla, um, is pretty much stomping through New York and all of that kind of stuff and Audrey and, uh, animal and his wife, they're getting ready to leave the diner that they're in. Like, I've always pictured Animal. Like, whenever I think of a news cameraman that is just like, I've got to get the story. I've got to get the footage kind of thing. This is the scene that's always, like, really stuck out in my head. Because, like, this dude, I don't know. Whenever I was a little kid, I just, I just thought Animal was so cool in this scene. Like, everybody else is running from Zilla, going the opposite direction and all that. And what's my boy do? He just grabs a camera and he's like, I'm going to chase after that lizard. And I'm going to try and get some footage of it and all of that kind of stuff. And to me, that's like quintessential news cameraman mentality. <laughs> like, not afraid of the danger, not afraid of anything. Like, I've got to get this footage. And that's what he did. And, like, I've always liked the scene of him. Like, he gets the camera and... You know, he's trying to get the tape inside of it and all of that. Uh, for, for all you younger crowd, a tape, it was a VHS tape. And they used to have to put those in cameras. And whenever they would record things, it would be on this stuff called film. And then you could put the tape in something called a VCR and it would play back what you had just recorded. It was not digital. But, <laughs> but um, <clears throat> so uh, he's actually chasing Zilla right now. Uh, at, at this point in time in the, in the movie and he's trying to, uh, get the tape in and he, he, like, he calms down, he just uses his index finger and like just barely like pokes the tape in, slams it shut and then starts, uh, starts recording and all of that. And yeah, I just, I love Animal. So now we're going to move on this. Now I'm really going to start outpacing the film. So now we're going to move on. There's another part in this movie that I've, I've identified with ever since, uh, I was an adult. And that being whenever Philippe and the rest of his French cohort are pretty much, you know, on stakeout and all of that kind of stuff. And he, he reaches into the bag, he pulls out a donut and he's like, no croissant. 
And he's like, no. And so he takes a sip of the coffee and he's like, you call this coffee? Like, I've been there. Um, I don't know if I've ever explained this to you guys or not, but I am a coffee drinker. Um, let me rephrase that. I am not a coffee drinker. I am a coffee enthusiast. Like, I know it's a very trendy thing right now for people to be like, oh, coffee is life. I love coffee. Do you really love coffee? Or do you love the one thing that you constantly order from Starbucks like once a day? Or sometimes not even once a day, but only like four or five times a week or something like that. And it's literally the same thing over and over and over again that happens to have coffee in it. Because I'm a coffee enthusiast. To the point, I worked for a coffee company for 12 years. Coffee is in my blood at this point in time. I've told people before I've drank so much coffee in in my adult life that you could cut me open and coffee would come out of it. Caffeine has no effect on me anymore. <laughs> like it used to, but I've drank so much of it and everything. You know, some people are like, oh, I've got to have my morning coffee to be able to wake up. Not Mikey. No, sir. Not me. Um... I drink it more out of habit than anything, but yeah, uh, there's, if I drink, I can drink an entire pot of coffee by myself in the morning and I will act no different than if I had not drank that coffee. And it's to the point of like, there's not very many roasts out there that I can just purchase like in a grocery store that I have not tried. There's not very many brands out there that I have not tried. I'm to the point to where like if I'm walking through the grocery store and I go to get my my coffee, which by the way, my brand of coffee that I like, it's done by the Folgers Company and it's called 1850, specifically the Pioneer Blend. That's the one that I like. But um, yeah, like I'll be walking through and I'll see a brand that I've never heard of or I'll see a roast of a brand that I have heard of, but I don't know. I'm not familiar with that roast. And I'll be like, let me get that. Let me try that. And I'll bring it home. And there's been some where I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, that's pretty good. But it's not as good as the 1850 that I regularly drink. And then there's been other ones to where, like, this is where I identify with Philippe. Whenever he takes a sip and just makes a face, he's like, you call this coffee? <laughs> you know, like, I've had some pretty some pretty bad coffee in my day. But, um, yeah. Like the, the 1850 slash pioneer blend is probably my favorite blend that I drink currently to the point where it's like, it's almost $8 a bag. Something like $3 more than other bags of coffee that are there. I will shove them out of the way to get to the 1850. I will pay happily pay that, that extra like $3 for three ounces, <laughs> three ounces more of coffee or something like that. Uh, Heck, I've been up since 5 o'clock, and it is now 9.26, and I've already drank a full pot of coffee just sitting here, you know, playing around with YouTube and watching this movie and all of that kind of stuff. So, I know I just went down the rabbit hole yet again, but I just wanted to let you guys know, I identify with Philippe whenever he takes a sip of that coffee, and also he does it again, you know, later on. He's like, you said this was French roast, and, you know, homeboy sticks out the little <laughs> the container of french roasties speaking french and all that kind of stuff which i'm gonna go ahead and say i'm not a big fan of french roast french roast is basically like an ultra dark roast like you think dark roast and french is like a darker dark roast it's more it's cooked it's roasted for longer and all that kind of stuff and i'm just i'm not a big fan of dark roast i prefer medium 
blended or medium roast coffees and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but anywho, <laughs> I, could, I could do a whole podcast just on coffee. <laughs> but anywho, so moving on. So the next part of the movie that I want to talk about that's never really made any sense to me is whenever they're looking for Zilla and they have no idea that he's tunneling underground. Whenever they discover that he's actually tunneled underground and all of that, uh, Hicks pretty much looks at O'Neill and is like, okay, I need you to seal this up or block it off. And O'Neill's like, how? How, 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 how can I do that? You know, and he's like, well, you can fill it with cement or brick it up immediately. I don't, I don't care what it, the rest of it said. He said, put mines or bombs. I don't care. Make sure it doesn't leave, you know? And, but the part that always got me was you can fill it with cement or brick it up. And I just want to, you know, that's part of the dialogue that makes no sense in this movie to me. I'm like, dude, you literally are looking at or witnessing this thing just burrowed through the ground that had bricks and cement and things like that. He routinely tears through buildings like they're nothing and all of that kind of stuff. Do you really think, and I mean really think, that cement and bricks is going to stop this thing. Like, you know, that, that line of dialogue is just never really, um, it's never made any, any sense to me. So the next part that I'm going to talk about is Zilla's big reveal, which, um, there, there's another part in this movie that I have an issue with, and it's kind of tied into Zilla's big reveal in which Nick is the one that gives the idea to lure him out. Now, I understand that they had to fit him into the movie. He's a biologist. He, you know, and they had to do the whole thing with the worms that he has to draw them out and all of that kind of stuff. But it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me that Nick, just being a biologist coming into this military operation and they're like, oh, how can we find this thing? And then, like, Nick is just basically like, we have to draw him out. And they're all just like, ooh, ah, that's a great idea. Like, they have government strategists and, like, military personnel that's done, like, entire military operations and all of that kind of stuff. And not once did it ever occur to them, maybe we shouldn't be searching for it. Maybe we should try and draw it to us. A basic hunter could have, you know, bait it and like, <laughs> you know, ah, God, it just, it just didn't make any sense to me. But again, I know <clears throat> for the purpose of plot, they had to put that in there. They had to make it to where like Nick was seemingly more intelligent than the people around him. And that's why that they kept going back to him. But the ways that they were trying to make him seem more intelligent than everyone else around him was a lot less making him seem very, very smart, and it was much more about making everyone else around him seem very, very dumb, in my opinion. But anywho, <clears throat> um, so yeah, Godzilla's big reveal, or Zilla's big reveal, um, I, I, li I like the reveal. 
like, you know, the whole thing, like with the fish and dropping the fish down and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Philippe pretty much acknowledging that it's a clever idea for Nick to have come up with this and all of that. And <clears throat> Zilla showing up. <clears throat> that gum. I'm sorry I keep clearing my throat, guys. <clears throat> but anywho, like when Zilla first comes up and Nick takes a picture of him with his disposable camera, which again, for you younger crowd, a disposable camera was a camera that you could actually buy in like a vending machine kind of thing. And you would take the pictures and then you could go drop the camera off at this <laughs> at this little kiosk that was specially made and they would just, you know, <clears throat> pretty much take the pictures that were on film in the camera, print out the pictures and then give it to you. And sometimes it would take a few days <laughs> to get that done. Way different than just yanking out your phone and snapping a picture. But, you know, he takes a picture of Zilla and it, like it kind of startles Zilla and he gets down and like, looks at Nick and all of that kind of stuff. And Nick, I've always liked that scene because it really shows that Zilla is just, he's not there for any like malicious intent or anything like that. He's literally just an animal that is there trying to reproduce <clears throat> and <clears throat> basically do what animals do. And I've always loved that scene. Like I love the score that goes along with it. I just love the score of this movie, period. And, you know, he starts walking down the streets and we get our, like, through this whole thing, we get our first, like, actual real look at Zilla, at the full design of Zilla. And that's what made a lot of fans mad. Because you have to keep in mind, there are a lot of people, they were keeping the design of Godzilla hush, hush for this movie. To the point to where there were ads. I think everyone my age remembers the Taco Bell commercials for this whenever the little dog is down and he's got like a box and he's going, here, lizard, 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 you know. And then Zilla comes around the corner and he's like, I think I need a bigger box, you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, it just... They were trying to keep the design of Zilla hush-hush. And when this reveal finally popped up, we had already seen chunks of like his body and all of that kind of stuff during the earlier Rampage scene. But whenever um, he's finally revealed, a lot of fans were immediately mad. Because they're like, he's too different. He doesn't look anything like Godzilla. He's the wrong color. He, he has dorsal plates, but that's about it. And like, they were just, they were furious at the design reveal of Zilla. But I've, like I've said, I've always loved the design of Zilla. You guys know I'm a stickler for uh, dorsal plates and things like that for various Godzilla designs and all of that. I've always loved the dorsal design for Zilla in this film that the center dorsal plates are not like the most prominent dorsal plates, that it's more like the the ones on the side that are more like prominent in the design. And I've always really, really liked that uh, for this movie. Um, so moving on, like Godzilla or Zilla, he comes in and he finds the fish and he's sitting there eating, and even as a 
as a kid and to this day after just watching the movie, whenever the military lose signal and they decide it's time to fire upon Zilla, and he turns around and he's roaring at them and all of that kind of stuff and he starts to run, I've always felt bad for Zilla in that moment. Because like I said, in the 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 plot that they've created for this, he's not there just to destroy <clears throat> the city. He's just there to try and reproduce, and he's just so large, he's causing a lot of destruction and stuff like that, and I don't know. Like, it's always... To me, it was just always sad that he was just a regular animal that was trying to do his animal thing, and he was sitting there trying to eat. You know, part of him was kind of like, oh, you guys made me a meal, that's so nice, and then they start firing at him, and it's like, what the heck are you doing, you know? like, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so he, he runs. And while he's running, we get to see this Zilla's version of the atomic breath, if you will. Because that's another thing that really ticked off fans about this incarnation of Godzilla, is that he had no atomic breath. <clears throat> Instead, he had something that was kind of like a push breath. He would kind of, he would roar, and I've never really understood the science behind it. But anything that was like in its path, whenever he does a certain roar or something like that, it would cause vehicles to fly and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, it could engulf things in flames and all of that. This was addressed in the animated series, which deals with Zilla Jr., the surviving Zilla from at the end of this movie, to where it does have a quote-unquote atomic breath, which is really just green flames. But that's whenever we get to see the quote-unquote atomic breath from this version of Godzilla in this film. And again, that did nothing but tick off fans even more because they didn't get to see a really cool atomic breath. Even though there is concept art in existence that at one point in time he was going to have a more legit atomic breath. Um... Another thing that really ticked off the fans <clears throat> about this movie, particularly this scene, is uh, Godzilla is making his big reveal right now in the movie, by the way. <laughs> like, crawling up out of the streets and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, he's shaking off the debris, and Nick is about to yank out the camera and, take a, and snap a picture of him. But, anywho, another thing that really ticked off the fans was the fact that Zilla did not stay to fight the military and pretty much bulldoze over the military. Instead, anytime the military tried to do an operation against him, he would immediately run. Now, a lot of people view that as basically like he was running from fear, <clears throat> like he's afraid of the military. Even as a little kid, upon first seeing this film, I never got the idea that he was afraid of the military. And the reason why is because whenever the Echo units are chasing him, the three helicopters and all of that, and they're chasing him through the city, and he's evading them and dodging them, he was showing strategy in that moment. Because we see he burrows down, and they're like <clears throat> stationary and shooting down where he had burrowed down, and he actually doubles back and comes around behind them and wipes out two, and then he's the one doing the chase and chasing the final... Um, the final chopper, which was Echo 4. And, like, so I've always viewed it as he wasn't running from the military. He was trying to regroup and strategize so that he could find a better way to be able to attack them 
and all of that. At least in this scene, anyway. The next time they tried to bait him with the fish and it doesn't work, no, like, he, he was just straight up running from the military in that scene, so I, I get that. Now, <clears throat> um, the, the next action chase, we'll call it that, after the initial one, like, that's what I'm talking about. Like whenever he's running away and all of that kind of stuff and he is not trying to stay and fight. He dives over the little barricade that they had made. He's back into the water and swimming away. The submarines are in there. I thought that that was a pretty intense like action scene and all of that stuff with the submarines chasing him and him hitting the submarine with his dorsals and all of that kind of stuff. And let me tell you, people really, 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 really got mad whenever it seemed like Zilla was killed just by, like, a few torpedoes from some submarines and all of that. Which, at that point in time, the film shifts gears. Whenever I say shifts gears, I've always viewed it <clears throat> as, like... It's two entirely separate styles of movies. Because after Zilla is quote-unquote dead, basically the next thing, the next big thing about the movie is they have to find the nest. And whenever they do find the nest and the eggs hatch and we get to see, like, all of the baby Zillas and all of that kind of stuff, like, that's a very intense part of this movie. It's probably, like, my favorite part of the movie like, to me, the movie really, really gets good whenever they discover the nest and they're putting the bombs on the eggs and there's too many of them, the eggs start hatching and all of that. To me, that's the meat of this movie, whenever it really ramps up in quality and all of that kind of stuff. And I, that's from that point on, I'm fully 100% invested in the movie. <clears throat> and also whenever, uh, you know, the big reveal that Zilla was not dead and he comes back, but I'm going to talk about that, uh, later on. So the nest, the entire nest scene for the film, like I said, I love it. Um, whenever the little baby Zillas start coming out and they're chasing the, the French operatives and Nick and you have Animal and Audrey that's like crawling around in the ducks and all that and they meet up. And they're trying to figure out a way how they can get out and all of that kind of stuff. Um, the baby Zillas, very much like a lot of their mannerisms and the way that they're acting, and even some of the cinematography around them, is very similar to how the raptors moved and acted in Jurassic Park. Like, we get to see, like, one of the Zillas, like, looking through the window, kind of in the way that a raptor looked through the window in the original Jurassic Park. How whenever it's trying to open up the door, it's nudging it with its nose a little bit first and then just like bulldozes it open and all of that kind of stuff. Very similar to a raptor scene uh, whenever it's going into the kitchen after uh, the two children in Jurassic Park. And just the way that they move and the fact that they're pack hunters and all of that kind of stuff. A lot of people are like, this is very, very, very similar to, um, to Jurassic Park, which I've got no problem with. I like, I love everything dealing with the, uh, the baby Zillas. And all of that kind of stuff. <clears throat> um, speaking of the baby Zillas, there, there's a part in the movie that's never really made a whole lot of sense to me. In that, whenever they're doing the broadcast from, you know, well, the broadcast room. And they've got the camera, they're panning down on 
the babies and all of that, and Nick is basically explaining what all is going on with them. He pretty much says these amazing creatures are born pregnant. And I've always been like, what? Like, how could you possibly know that? Like, how, how is that an assumption that you could just very confidently... I mean, these things just hatched. Not long ago, there's been like a total of like half an hour of exposure that Nick has had to these things, most of it running away from them. He's done no tests. He's done no studies. Like, there's literally been nothing that he could have done to possibly figure out that these things are born pregnant. It's probably the 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 single stupidest, dumbest line of dialogue in this movie. Every time I hear it, I just, I shake my head. And I'm like, how do you come to that conclusion? Like, I mean, I get it. If the writers of the film, the director of the film, they want it to be like, oh, this is, you know, we need to showcase that that's how fast these things can spread, uh, spread around and multiply and all of that kind of stuff. Like, you know, we, we want to say, we want, want it to be known that they are born pregnant. Okay, good. That That's fine. But I mean, there should have been a scene where they at least caught one and they were like doing some studies on it or something. And they just so happened to find out while they're doing that study, holy crap, this thing's pregnant. You know, like it just, it would have made way more sense. And yeah, I've just, I've never, I've, nope, nope, I've, I've never, I've never understood how he came to that conclusion. And another part that doesn't make any sense to me concerning the nest <clears throat> is after the broadcast and they received the message and animals like, you know, well, good news is they got the message. The bad news is we got less than six minutes to get out of the building. And so they go to to leave, they go to run, and they're running for about two minutes or something like that. So he said less than six minutes. I think it's, I would be comfortable saying that they had five minutes because if it was less than that, they would have said less than five minutes. So just to simply say less than six, that's a very oddball number to me. And so I had always in my brain been like, okay, so they probably got five minutes. Well, they run away or they run around and, you know, Nick, like they've eaten all the fish, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, he tips over the gumballs and the, the babies are like, you know, slipping and sliding and all that kind of stuff. And then they come to the main lobby of Madison Square Garden and it's chocker block full of little baby Zillas. And Audrey asks Animal, how much longer do we have? And he looks at his watch and he says, less than 30 seconds. So first of all, I'm like, okay, y'all just got told that you have less than six minutes, maybe a minute and a half ago. How in the world did you get to less than 30 seconds at this point in time? You know, I get that like, not everything that happens in movies is done in real time, but I mean, they could have done a little bit better of a job in that. But still, nonetheless, so he says less than 30 seconds. Again, that's a very wide range, less than 30 seconds. Okay, is it 25? Is it 20? Is it 15? But nonetheless, I timed it one time whenever I was younger and I watched this movie and he said less than 30 seconds. Uh, I can't remember the exact time, but from the moment he says less than 30 seconds 
up until whenever the missiles actually hit Madison Square Garden and blow it up is more than 30 seconds. From that moment to them like shooting the chandeliers or whatever the heck those lights were called and they fall and all of that kind of stuff, which I'm going to go ahead and say. That's another thing that kind of like irks me about this movie is how many times there were like multiple times that they would just seemingly run past the little baby Zillas and the Zillas would just remain stationary and just kind of like bite at them and just be like, oh, oh no, I missed you. And, you know, like, <laughs> it just, uh, no, 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 no. I, I just, nope, 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 nope. That just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But nonetheless, so they blow up Madison Square Garden. And you get, like, this triumphant-type music and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, Animal asks Philippe, like, how you, how you doing? You doing okay? And he's like, I could use a coffee. And I'm like, me too, Philippe. Uh, you know, I, I, <laughs> I'd like coffee as well. But, um... By the way, I paused recording this episode uh, at one point so that I could finish off my cup of coffee that was sitting right next to me. It was well beyond room temperature. It was no longer hot. And this is how much of a coffee enthusiast I am. I can drink it hot or cold. I'm not talking about coffee that was like cold brew or cold coffee that you buy that's refrigerated or whatever. I mean, I can pour myself a hot cup of coffee, let it sit there for 30 minutes, get to room temperature, and I will still drink it. And have no problems with it. Like, I love coffee. <laughs> like, I don't have any tattoos. But I've told people that I'm contemplating my very first tattoo that I ever get to be a coffee bean. Uh, speaking of coffee beans, one of my favorite snacks is chocolate-covered uh, espresso beans, by the way. But, anywho, you know, that's... See, I'm back on coffee. I'm sorry. I, I apologize. But, anywho, so now we're moving on to the final chase scene. Zilla is revealed to still be alive. And again, I've always felt bad for Zilla in this moment. Like he looks, he sees his dead babies, the music that's playing, he's nudging it with his nose and all of that kind of stuff. And like, it's just, it's sad to me. It's sad because nine times out of 10, whenever I watch these movies and all of that kind of stuff, I'm, I'm, I'm team Kaiju. I'm always hoping that they're, they're the ones, um, you know, that's going to win <laughs> and all that. And to just simply see that he's gone through all of this trouble to lay these eggs and all of that kind of stuff and for them just to be wiped out and all of that. And so then he looks at the, the whole crew and, you know, Nick's like, he looks angry. And, uh, well, now what do we do? Running would be a good idea. And they take off and they start running. This whole next part of the movie, it, it kind of doesn't make sense to me, but at the same time it does makes sense a little bit, at least after they get in the car. But while they were on foot, you were never going to convince me that these four individuals were able to outrun a kaiju that can move as fast as Zilla just, just by running regularly. Because he was pretty close to them. He was like right on their, their heels. And, you know, so... They, they go down an alley and Zilla has been busting through buildings throughout this entire movie and burrowing through um, the ground and pretty much not having any trouble getting through anything except for the time whenever he was underwater and he was trying to burrow through um, uh, that, I don't know what you would call that, underwater cliff, I don't know. Like that pretty well stopped him. 
But yeah, he's been busting through buildings like there's no tomorrow and all of that kind of stuff. And then this moment right here, just simply because they ran down this alleyway, all of a sudden now he has a hard time getting through buildings. You know, it's continuity error. I'm I'm just like, I don't I don't understand. <laughs> you know, that's that's just me. And so then naturally he gets through and they're they're going to jump the fence and all of that kind of stuff, and Audrey slips and falls down. And it's a very tired trope that's in movies nowadays. Um, it's so cliche. I'm tired of it. I really wish they would stop doing it. It's pointless scenes every single time I see it. The main girl will fall down. And instead of doing anything else, she just rolls over and looks and is like terrified and screaming and this and that. Oh, but look, here's the hero of the movie that goes back. And the only way to get her back on her feet is for him to pick her up and all of a sudden help her run with his arm around her. Now, all of a sudden, she's perfectly fine and she's capable of running and her legs are able to be used again and all of that kind of stuff. It's never made any sense to me. It's a stupid scene. I really wish that they would stop doing that in movies. It's dumb. It's, just, it's dumb. And, um, yeah, so... They get out, they hop in the taxi cab, and Philippe does the most ludicrous way to start a taxi cab in existence. Like, okay, we're just gonna, you know, pop pop the uh, this thing out and stick my knife in there, jiggle it around a little bit. Boom, we're good to go. No, 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 no. That's that's not how you 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 steal a car. Like that's just not. And so then they take off. And now I'm going to talk about, like, this is the part that kind of makes sense, but doesn't make sense. Just like whenever they were running away on foot, I find it hard to believe that just hopping in a regular taxi cab, they would be able to outrun Zilla. And it's not necessarily just because, oh, well, it's small and this and that. Maybe he was having a hard time. We already saw in another scene, in the initial chase scene, whenever uh, the Echo the Echo Trio is chasing after him, they're in helicopters that can go well over, like, you know, 150 miles an hour, I believe. And he was pulling away from them, from choppers. And so it just, it doesn't make any sense to me that they were able to outrun Zilla in just this regular little taxi cab and all of that kind of stuff. But at the same time, this is a part where it does kind of make sense to me, is that say you have a track star um, that runs and he's won like, he's won medals and he's won trophies and he's broken world records and all of that kind of stuff and everything. And now say... Like you put him out and it's like, okay, I've got a remote control car. I want you to catch this car. You know that, yeah, in a straight up sprint, he could outrun the car most likely and all of that kind of stuff. But like when you factor in like the car, like stopping and zigzagging around and all of that kind of stuff, like it's going to be, it could be a little difficult for him to, to catch kind of like Rocky in the original Rocky movie. Whenever, um, Mick pretty much has him, puts him in the back alleyway to try and catch, uh, catch the chicken. <laughs> and all that but uh so yeah that that part has never really made any any sense to me um I love the score that's going along with like the whole chase scene and all of that kind of stuff um and this is probably the thing that really ticked off most fans the most is how they killed Zilla 
and the fact that he got caught in the suspension cables of the Brooklyn Bridge. And the F-18s come, come around. They fire two missiles apiece. So six missiles on the first go-around hit Zilla, wounds him really bad. They circle around. They fire two more apiece again. Six more hit him. And that pretty much is what does him in. Twelve missiles. That, that's it. Twelve missiles puts down Zilla. And, like, you know, it's just, uh, like, as a Godzilla fan, if you're looking at this as Godzilla, yes, it is very, very, very aggravating. But uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get more to that here in a moment. But um, the look that Zilla gives Nick, because they've he's he's already eyeballed Nick numerous times. The first time was whenever he took a picture of him. So that was the first time he saw him. The next time he saw him was whenever the babies were dead. He sees Nick. He knows that Nick is somewhat responsible. And so now at the end, Nick is at, out of the car. He walks towards Zilla and Zilla looks at him and they just, they lock eyes for a moment. And I, this is another moment where I feel bad for Zilla because Zilla is like looking at him almost like in a somewhat animalistic way. Just like if there was, if there was a human moment that Zilla could have, it would have been right then to where like, I believe he, he would have just like, he was looking at Nick kind of like, why? Like, why couldn't you have just let me? do my thing. Like, and I know, you know, people are just like, he's a kaiju. He was call, causing destruction and all of that kind of stuff. They had to take care of him. I like, I get that. I do 100%. But like I said, I'm 90% of the time, I'm team kaiju in these movies and all of that. And yeah, it just always made me feel bad. That last look that Zilla gave him, like I said, it's like he looked at him and was just like, why? And then that moment is immediately ruined to me whenever Zilla goes to fall and he falls way forward and they take off and, you know, are running away and all of that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden now he, his chin smashes the cab that they were in. And I'm just like, wouldn't he stuck? Couldn't he not move forward? Couldn't he not go anywhere? Like that was the whole point of bringing him to the suspension bridge. And now all of a sudden he's dead and it's just like, well, I'm going to fall so far forward that even though y'all literally driven hundreds of feet away, now all of a sudden he can, he can reach that point. He's not caught no more. The suspension cables aren't, <laughs> aren't holding him back anymore. I don't know. That part's never really made any sense to me. And then, you know, my little mind as a child got blown towards the end of the film whenever it shows that one egg somehow survived the explosion of Madison Square Garden. It rips open and the little baby Zilla uh, roars and all of that. And then cue credits. And yeah, that's basically the things that I like and the things that I dislike about Zilla 1998. So honestly, and I know I talked about this, I've mentioned this in numerous episodes, not just the original 98 episode that I did. But there's a lot of people that really hold a lot of hatred in their heart for this movie for the, the main reason of being like, it's not Godzilla or it's a terrible version of Godzilla or something. 
I cannot reiterate this enough. You are correct. It is not Godzilla. The reception that this movie got was so negative that there was two other films planned after this one. And they pretty much got canned. They got scrapped. The animated series is officially considered to be the sequel to this movie. And the animated series, in a lot of people's minds, are far better than this movie. Uh, I kind of like them both the same, to be honest with you. But if I had to lean one way more than the other, I would prefer the movie over the animated series. But Toho... You know, they were originally going to take a hiatus from making Godzilla films, and because of the polarizing reception that this film got, they decided to go on ahead and kickstart the Millennium series. And so they came out with Godzilla 2000 in 1999, and then Godzilla vs. Megaguirus, and then the next film that came out in 2001 was, here we go, the most mouthful of a Godzilla title in existence, Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidorah, Giant Monsters, all out attack. Say that really fast five times. But um, towards the beginning, they mentioned something about how the... I can't remember the exact line of dialogue. But they mentioned something about how um, the Americans had dealt with Godzilla or something like that. And one of them think, well, the Americans think they dealt with Godzilla. And that was like a direct reference to this movie. They were basically acknowledging, like, not only saying that, no, that absolutely was not Godzilla, but also officially making it in continuity terms that this was an entirely separate kaiju. And he officially has the name Zilla. It is copyrighted. It is trademarked by Toho. It is an entirely separate kaiju. He has a showdown with... King uh, with a Goji, final Goji in Godzilla Final Wars. In comic in a comic book that was the artwork was done by Matt Frank, uh, Rulers of Earth. In one like the first or second issue, maybe the third issue or something like that. It's been a while since I've read it. Zilla has a throwdown with Godzilla. So I understand the complaint. Of people sitting there like, well, I don't like that movie because it's not Godzilla. But I also don't understand the complaint because I want to look at them and say, Toho has officially made it to where this is an entirely separate kaiju. They they openly say that was not Godzilla. That was Zilla. This was a Zilla movie, not a Godzilla movie. So, look, guys... Watch this movie and view it as just a standalone kaiju film. No different than you would the original Rodan film. Or Varan. You know, like, it's a standalone movie. It's not Godzilla. It's an entirely separate kaiju. But yeah, um, whenever I was little and I saw the scene of the baby Godzilla surviving, I was very, very pumped. I could not wait for the next movie and all of that kind of stuff. And I waited and I waited and I waited and the next movie never came about. And so it was, you know, a good while later until I was able to actually look up like production stuff and all of that kind of mess and everything and find out that the movie never, never got made. It's to the point, 
you know what, guys? I lied to you at the very beginning of this episode talking about uh, the movies that I've seen in theaters and all that kind of stuff. I left one out, and I'm kind of ashamed that I left one out. Because not long after this movie, like I mentioned, uh, Godzilla 2000 was coming about. And I saw... It wasn't really an ad. It was more or less just a picture. Godzilla 2000 coming to theaters. And so I ran to my father and was like, I legitimately thought that that was going to be the sequel to this movie. And I convinced him to take me to theaters to watch it. And I remember like getting there, getting to the theater, it's starting. And obviously it was a dubbed version of the movie and seeing like how their, the actor's lips weren't matching up with the words and everything. I remember immediately getting disappointed because I'm like, this isn't a sequel to this movie. It's another like Japanese Godzilla film. But then I ended up liking the film anyway. So, <laughs> you know, so it was all good. But yeah, I remember the immense disappointment that I had thinking that it was going to be a sequel to this film. And then turns out it, uh, it was not. And in case anyone was wondering, the point in time in the movie that we are at now, while it's been playing the entire time that I'm recording this, is Animal is opening up the window right now. Audrey says, what are you doing? And he says, I can't let Lucy know. She'd hurt me. <laughs> you know, and like they're, they're getting ready to go in and start looking for the nest. So there's probably about a good half hour or so left of uh, the movie, probably a little bit less than that. But yeah, so that's my uh, my official thoughts on Godzilla 1998. I love this movie. I don't care what anybody says. I hope this episode, like if any of you really despise this movie and have written it off and have never watched it since or anything, I really hope that this episode kind of lets you change your heart a little bit to fully acknowledge and view this film as not a Godzilla film, but as a standalone Zilla film that's just a regular kaiju movie. If you look at it like that, I can almost assure you, you will probably enjoy this movie way, way more than you do just being like, I can't believe they did this to Godzilla and all that kind of stuff. Do not view it like that. It is a standalone kaiju film. The kaiju that stars in it, is an official Toho property by the name of Zilla. Go watch it again. I, I really think you'll have a change of heart if you view it in that mentality. So, all right, guys, uh, that pretty much does it for today's episode. Um, I did a poll on my Instagram to see who or what was going to be my next episode that I did. The poll was between uh, the original Daimajin film and Monster Seafood Wars. And the winner is, drum roll please, da -da 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 -da, you know, or whatever, uh, Dimogen. So a week from today, at the time of this recording, I will be covering the original Dimogen film. I've already looked up a lot of stuff about production and all that kind of junk. Uh, there's not a lot out there. So more than likely, it's going to be more, I'll, I'll share what production stuff I can but then it's also going to be more or less just a review of how I feel about the movie. Just going ahead and throwing that out there. And be sure and check me out on all of my social medias. On Facebook, I'm Kaiju Carnage, Godzilla slash King Kong podcast. And I also have a Godzilla Ultima fan page. And then on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok, I am Cal the Kaiju Guy. And speaking of TikTok, 
The next round of the Battle of the Mecha Godzillas is going on right now. It is the design from Ready Player One versus the design from Godzilla the Animated Series. And as of right now, the Ready Player One design is overwhelmingly winning that battle. It's like there's almost like 300 votes altogether, and it's very much like one third of, I mean, two thirds of the vote is going to um, <laughs> uh, Ready Player One's design. And I will be announcing the winner of that on this week's, uh, on Wednesday's Weekly Kaiju Havoc. And I'll announce what the next bout is going to be. So, all right, guys. Thank you all once again. Keep an eye out on the YouTube. I've got new things coming. I've, I've Like I said, new editing techniques and all of that kind of stuff. I can't wait to put all that to the test and put a more legit, like, educational slash more official Kaiju content video up and, you know, let me know what you guys think about it. Please go subscribe to the YouTube. The more subscribers I get, the more, like, my channel has a better chance of getting, you know, pushed through the YouTube algorithm and all of that kind of stuff. But anyway, all right, guys, thank you so much. Love each and every one of you. Thanks for all the support and all of that. Oh, one last thing. I wanted to go on ahead and do a another shout-out real quick. So I've done a shout out before to an individual named uh, Jason Kavanaugh and he actually missed his shout out and somebody came up to him that also listens to the podcast and said, dude, they, he gave you a shout out. Like he mentioned you by name. So he went by, went back and, uh, you know, went to the website and all that and saw that, yeah, there was indeed an episode that he had missed. And so he got to see his web, his, uh, his shout out or hear his shout out really and all of that kind of stuff. But to the individual that pointed it out to him, Joe, the mailman, thank you, sir. Thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, being a fan and all of that kind of stuff. And thank you for pointing out to another listener that I did a shout out to him and all of that. I very much appreciate it. So Joe, the mailman, keep doing your, uh, keep doing your thing, buddy. We appreciate all you mail carriers and all that kind of stuff. You guys are awesome. So, all right, guys. Again, thank you. Thanks for all the love and support. Love in each and every one of you. Wouldn't be doing this without y'all. We'll see y'all next week for the original Dimogen, um movie. And keep an eye out for the YouTube and all that. We will catch y'all next time. This is Cal the Kaiju Guy signing out.